0: John chapter 2. Let's start by uh, praying. If you'd close, close your eyes and just pray with me, please. Father, I give this time to you and ask that you would teach us. Father, even as we go through your word and as I share the thoughts that I have read and studied, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be my teacher and our teacher this morning in challenging us afresh to the relationship with us that you desire to have. In Jesus' name. Amen. Just a sec, I'm going to take care of it. Ridiculous. So that one goes there, that one goes there after the service. <laughs> they had a 52 person catering order. If somebody could take care of that really quick, that'd be great. Okay, I'm a very soft spoken person, except when I'm not, so I will try. Probably the easiest thing would be to turn the mic up if I don't talk loud enough. Is that, can you hear me okay like I'm talking now, or is that not a little louder? Is that good? I'll try. Okay, let's get, okay, I'm, okay. <laughs> okay. Did that scare you? I want you to imagine with me. We're going to... Two times in Jesus' ministry, with a determined look on his face, he approached the temple at the beginning and at the end of his ministry. He approached the temple, and he walked into the temple, and he looked around him, And he was disturbed. He was angry. You know what he did? That's what he did. Two times in his ministry. He went into... I know, I'm sorry. Did that scare you? I just thought it would get people's attention. He went into the temple and he started throwing tables over, knocking them over. This is gentle and mild Jesus. He knocked tables over he opened cages that had doves in them. He deliberately threw the money that they were collecting all over the temple. In fact, when he first walked into the temple, he he braided a robe together. And when he walked into the temple with that rope, he went in deliberately to drive out the people that were in the temple. Not amazing? Twice. There's not very many things that Jesus did twice, but twice at the beginning and the end of his ministry with an intentional violence, (laughs) he went in to drive people out of the temple, tossing over tables, driving out animals. And in, in John, it says he actually stood in the temple and prevented anybody else from coming into the temple. Now, why would Jesus act that way? I mean that Jesus who you know who was so gentle and so compassionate and so kind, as he would, you know, took the little girl Talitha, he said, and and he and he spoke to her and he and he raised her from the dead, as he went to the to the widow woman who was following the funeral pier, you know, where, where her only son was laying dead and he raised him from the dead, as he gave sight to the blind and, and hearing to the deaf and he why in the world would he with such an intentional violence go into the temple with a rope to drive people out? Jimmy, pick this chair up. Would that make you feel better? Okay. I pondered doing that or not doing that, and I thought, you know, my wife wouldn't like me doing that, so I <laughs> Why would he do that? And that's exactly right, Donna. And we're going to talk about what they were doing and why they were doing it and why he was so upset. And the way we're going to do that is to talk about the history and the purpose of the temple. But first of all, I want you to just think how easy it is for us to lose purpose. I thought of this when um, a group of us, was it last year, went to a Mariners game. And as I was sitting at the Mariners game, I realized that there were a lot of people that were at that Mariners game that weren't there for the Mariners at all. What were they there for? I think to get intoxicated. (laughs) It's like the Mariners were an excuse to go and have a lot of fun with friends and get really intoxicated and, and unruly. As I think about... Life, it's so easy for us to lose purpose. I think about, I go to a monthly gang task force meeting so I can learn gang signs and things like that. That was a joke. Um, But one of the things that I realize is school administrators and school security officers and policemen and, and all kinds of people attend these gang task force meetings to talk about the gang situation in Kitsap County is how... Our schools have lost their purpose. At least for kids, (laughs) to a great extent. And the number of kids, because the last meeting I was at was talking about the legalities of searching lockers and searching backpacks, (laughs) and what you can do and not do, because so many kids, it seems, go to school to get in fights, to use and sell drugs, (laughs) and to just have fun. They've forgotten that school is a place to get an education. As we talk about the temple and the history of the temple and the point of the temple this morning, the temple that Jesus deliberately, violently walked in to drive people out of, I want you to be thinking this morning what your purpose is, okay? Why you exist. We could say why we exist here this morning. Why are we here this morning? And if I were to ask every one of you, why do you exist, or why do we exist as a church, why did the temple exist, why, why did God make us, we'd probably get all different kind of answers, but there's really only one answer, and that's the point of what I'm going to talk about this morning. A long time ago, God created Adam and Eve, and he created them in his image and in his likeness. And he created them with one main purpose, and that was for relationship with him. I liked the sharing at the beginning about relationships. and That's what God created us for from the very beginning, was relationship with him and with one another, with the animals, with the angels. I mean, it was just to be, in a, in a true sense, one big, happy, creative family enjoying one another and enjoying God together. But in Genesis 3, we see that something horribly happened. As the enemy, and this last week, Wednesday, in the community groups, we we had some amazing stories on the fall. That's what the story was this last Wednesday. I mean, some amazing stories as people shared what happened when the fall happened. When Adam and Eve chose to listen to the serpent instead of believing God's goodness. And they fell. Amazing stories. I'd encourage you to sign up for that email list. Uh, And so God created us for relationship with him, but sin entered the picture, and and mankind was separated from God. Very quickly in Genesis chapter 4, Cain, who Eve thought was going to be the promised seed, killed Abel and was cursed by God. and, And Adam and Eve, had to believe at that point that there was no hope, that all was lost, that what they were created for was ended. But then God in his grace provided them another descendant, his name was Seth, and at the end of Genesis chapter 4, there's a beautiful verse, it says, men began to call upon the name of the Lord again. Men again began to hope that they could have a relationship with God again and began to look forward again to the seed, the promised one that he would send, that God would send to be the Savior and the Redeemer and the Restorer, that word that was used earlier, the Restorer of relationship with God and relationships with one another. And so men began and continue to call upon the name of the Lord. I'm going to just... Fast forward to Egypt where God called out a people to be his own people. And that people was called Israel. And as they were wandering in the wilderness, this is a trivia question, and as they would go from place to place to place and they would camp in the order that God had told them to camp, in the very center of that camp, in the heart of that camp was what building? The tabernacle. That's right. And it was God's way of telling them, of showing them that God was to be at the heart of their community. That relationship with God and God's glory and God's presence was to be the center. And if God was at the center of their community, if God's glory and God's presence was the most important thing to them, then everything else would fall into place. And so then the tabernacle wandered with them and they entered the promised land. When they entered the promised land, and I'd like you to keep, we're going to come back to John, but I want you to turn to Second Chronicles chapter 6, if you would. As they came into the promised land, there was a man by the name of Solomon that God put it on his heart to build not just a tabernacle that wandered from place to place, but a place called the temple. Okay. We're going to read just a few verses to kind of get us started here about what the temple was about in 2nd Chronicles chapter 6 and it's page 468 in this Bible that we handed out, page 468. Now these are really important verses. I want you to follow along with me. Okay? 2nd Chronicles chapter 6 verse 2 as Solomon prays, he says, "I have built a glorious temple for you." where you can live forever, okay? But notice, picking up in verse verse 18, 2 Chronicles 6, 18, but Solomon says, but will God really live on earth among people? Why, even the highest heavens cannot contain you. I mean, how much less this temple I have built, and this temple was huge and it was beautiful, it was covered with gold, it was glorious, but it couldn't contain the God of the universe. How much less this temple that I built... Listen to my prayer and my request, O Lord my God. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is making to you. May you watch over this temple both day and night, this place where you have said you would put your name. And where it says your name meaning God, where your presence would be. May you always hear the prayers I make toward this place. May you hear the humble and earnest requests from me and your people Israel when we pray toward this place. Yes, hear us. From heaven where you live, and when you hear, forgive. And so Solomon just pleads with God as he builds this temple that it would be a place where God's presence would be and where God's people could approach him and pray to him. And so he ends in chapter 6, verse 40. He says, oh my God, be attentive to all the prayers made to you in this place. And then God responds to him in, verse, in chapter 7, verse 12. You want to just go a little bit farther? 2 Chronicles 7.12 The Lord appeared to Solomon and said, I have heard your prayer and I have chosen this temple as the place for making sacrifices. At times I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls or I might command locusts to devour your crops or I might send plagues among you because of your sin. But verse 14, God says, But if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. Verse 15 is a great verse. Notice what it says. I will listen to every prayer made in this place. For I have chosen this temple, and set it apart to be my home forever. My eyes and my heart will always be here. Isn't that great? God's presence among his people, a place where his people can approach him and seek his face and be restored in their relationships with him. That's what God's intention was from the beginning. It's why he created us. And yet things didn't go well. Things didn't go well. Flip to Ezekiel, if you would. We're going to just, like I said, this is a little history of the temple and its importance. Ezekiel chapter 8, page 806 in this Bible. Isn't that amazing as God created us and we fell away from Him, we sinned against Him, and humanity went their own way, that God made a way again? For us to come back into relationship and meet with him in the temple where his presence would be. And yet his people, Israel, sinned horribly. In fact, I'm not going to read all through Ezekiel chapter 8. But if you, if you look just at the beginning in Ezekiel chapter 8. Look at verse 6. Well, we'll start at verse 5. The Lord said to Ezekiel, son of man, look toward the north. And he's standing in the temple. Okay, The place that Solomon built. And he looked and there to the north beside the entrance to the gate of the altar in the temple stood the idol that had made the Lord so angry in the midst of the temple that was built for God's presence to be and God's people to approach him. God's people had built an idol to another God. Verse 6 God says, son of man, speaking to Ezekiel, he says, do you see what they're doing in my temple? Do you see the great sins the people of Israel are doing to drive me from my temple? Flip over to chapter 10 in Ezekiel, if you would. Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 4. And in Ezekiel chapter 10 and Ezekiel chapter 11, and I'd encourage you to read these verses on your own, we get the sad scenario of God's presence leaving the temple. Look at verse 4, chapter 10. Then the glory of the Lord rose up from the cherubim and went over to the door of the temple. The temple was filled with the cloud of glory. The temple courtyard glowed brightly with the glory of the Lord. You get this picture? I mean, the glory of the Lord, the creator of the universe, the one who created us to have relationship with him. And God's people, instead of enjoying that glory and approaching his presence, have built an idol, have sought after other gods, other means, and have driven him from his own temple. And so God's glory rises from above the cherubim, the Ark of the Covenant, in the Holy of Holies, and goes to the temple courtyard. Look at, drop down to verse 18. Then the glory of the Lord moved from the door of the temple and hovered above the cherubim. And I watched, and as I watched, the cherubim flew with their wheels to the east gate of the Lord's temple, and the glory of the Lord, the God of Israel, hovered above them. And finally, in chapter 11, Verse 22. The cherubim lifted their wings and rose into the air with their wheels beside them, and the glory of the Lord of Israel hovered above them, and then the glory of the Lord went up from the city. God's presence left his people. Wow. I want us just to feel that for a second because it's, it's the God of the universe, the creator, the glorious God who created us for relationship with him to approach him and know him and his glory and his goodness and his grace and his love and his righteousness and his holiness. And we, like his people, have driven him out of our presence, out of our lives. And the very thing we were created for, we don't do. What is God's evaluation? Flick with me back a couple of books to Isaiah, if you would. The book of Isaiah. 56, Isaiah chapter 56. Page 727. Isaiah 56, 6 and 7. God says, I will also bless the Gentiles who commit themselves to the Lord and serve him and love his name, who worship him and do not desecrate the Sabbath day of the rest, who have accepted his covenant. Verse 7, I will bring them, Jews and Gentiles alike, to my holy mountain of Jerusalem and fill them with joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all the nations. That's what Jesus, this is the verse that Jesus quotes in the Gospels as he drives the money changers out of the temple. This verse from Isaiah 56, this is what God made the temple for. This was its point and purpose, was to be a house of prayer for the nations, a place where all peoples could come and meet with God and know him. But Jeremiah chapter 7, if you flip there, shows us what happens. It summarizes it. (coughs) Jeremiah 7. And then we're going to go to the New Testament and kind of wrap it up. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 1, page 743. The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, go to the entrance of the Lord's temple and give this message to the people. O Judah, listen to this message from the Lord. Listen to it. All of you who worship here, the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, even now, if you quit your evil ways, I will let you stay in your own land, but do not be fooled by those who repeatedly promise you safety because the temple of the Lord is here. I will be merciful only if you stop your wicked thoughts and deeds and are fair to others, if you stop exploiting foreigners and orphans and widows, and if you stop murdering and if you stop worshiping idols as you do now to your harm. Then I will let you stay in this land that I gave to your ancestors to keep forever. Do not think that because the temple is here, you will never suffer. Don't fool yourselves. Do you really think you can steal and murder and commit adultery and lie and worship Baal and all those other new gods of yours and then come here and stand before me in my temple and chant, We are safe. And in my New American Standard Bible, it says, repeats three times. It says, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, as if we can do whatever we will please and come into the temple of the Lord. God is saying to Jeremiah, as if it's some kind of superstitious refuge that we can do whatever we please, and because we're in the temple, we're safe. Notice what God goes on to say, only to go right back to all those evils again. Do you think this temple which honors my name is a den of thieves? And this is the second passage in the Old Testament that Jesus quotes when he deliberately goes into the temple and says, you have made my temple, my house, which is to be a house of prayer, a den of thieves. And what God's people had done, and what a den of thieves is, I'm referring to, is that thieves, as they go out and they do whatever they want. They murder, steal, lie, rob, pillage. And then they come back to their cave. It's their place of refuge where they're saying, ah, oh, we're safe here. Nobody can get us. We can do whatever we want and we can come back here and we're safe. No policeman, no law enforcement officer would ever dare come into our den (laughs) and try to get us. And that's what God's people had done. They turned the temple into this place where it became like this, it it meant nothing. It was this place to approach God and offer sacrifices and be right with God and pray to God. And they turned it into like a den of thieves where they came and they thought they could find refuge and do whatever they will please. They'd forgotten the point of the, the temple. And so God's presence left the temple as I read in Ezekiel. What happened after that? God's presence was no longer among his people. Do you get that? God's presence was no longer among his people. He left. So they were taken into captivity and they were ravaged by the nations. They went through 400 silent years that we know nothing of, not reported in scripture. And then onto the scene walked a man around A.D. 30. And he walked into a temple. If you want to turn to John chapter 2, which I gave to you at the very beginning. Into Israel, into Jerusalem, walked a man, and his name was Jesus. Long after God's presence had left the temple and the the charade is still going on, into that temple walked Jesus. John chapter 2, verse 13. It was time for the annual Passover celebration, and Jesus went to Jerusalem. And in the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle and sheep and doves for sacrifices. He saw money changers behind the counters, and he made a whip from some ropes, and he chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and the oxen, and he scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, and he turned over their tables And then going over to the people who sold the doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Don't turn my father's house into a marketplace. And his disciples remembered the prophecy from the scriptures, passion for God's house burns within me. That is a great phrase. Does passion for God's house burn within us? What right do you have to do these things the Jewish leaders demanded? If you have this authority from God, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. Jesus is so gracious here. He could have retorted, but what right do you have to defile the house of God? All right, Jesus replied, and this is really important. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. What, they exclaimed, it took 46 years to build this temple, and you can do it in three days? But notice what it says in verse 21. But by this temple, Jesus meant his body. And after he was raised from the dead, the disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed both Jesus and the scriptures. Where is the temple now? in the person of Jesus. In John chapter 2 here, it's in the person of Jesus. You see, this is the history of the temple. I was going to start by asking you, how many temples are there in the Bible? Not including the tabernacle, how many temples are there in the Bible? Well, so far we have two. We have the temple that was in Jerusalem, that God's presence left, and now in the person of Jesus, God himself God's presence physically come back to earth. We have the temple. Destroy this temple and in three days I'll rise it again. And he was prophesying. He was telling what would happen in just three short years when those who were his own would reject him. They would kill him and they would put him on the cross and in three days he would rise from the dead. His temple, his body, the Temple of God. And so then he went back to heaven, right? He died on the cross for our sins, He rose from the dead, He ascended to heaven. And now where's the temple? Is God's presence still here? Turn to me to First Peter chapter two. Are you following with me? First Peter chapter two. This is a beautiful passage. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, page 1228 in this book, 1228. 1 Peter 2, come to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by the people, put on a cross, mocked, made fun of. He was rejected by the people, but he is precious to God who chose him. And now God is building you as living stones into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are God's holy priests who offer the spiritual sacrifices that please him because of Jesus Christ. As the scriptures express it, I am placing a stone in Jerusalem, a chosen cornerstone, and anyone who believes in him will never be disappointed And who is this temple? Verse 7. He is very precious to you who believe. To you who believe. But for those who reject him, the stone that was rejected by the builders has now become the cornerstone. And the scriptures also say, he is the stone that makes people stumble and the rock that will make them fall. They stumble because they do not listen to God's word or obey it. And so they meet the fate that has been planned for them. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a kingdom, a priest, a holy nation, his very own possession. This is so you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. These are words written to you all this morning. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you received none of God's mercy, but now... You have received his mercy. What is God's temple today? It's God's people. God's people who believe in the rejected one, the one who came, was in his very body, the presence of God, the temple, but was rejected and killed and put on the cross. He has become the cornerstone of the new temple Those who call themselves his followers. Ephesians chapter 2. I want to read just a couple words. They're just beautiful words. Ephesians 2.19. It says, so now you Gentiles, Ephesians 2.19, are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. Members of God's family. We are his house. A building isn't his house. We are his house. We who believe in him, the rejected, crucified, risen, and ascended Savior, we're his house. Built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, the cornerstone, Christ Jesus himself, we who believe are carefully joined together, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. You see that? Through him, you Gentiles are also joined together as a part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit that's us followers of Jesus God's dwelling God's temple in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 19 and 20 and I'm not going to read there but I'm just we see the fourth description of a temple and it's we individually ourselves in our own bodies it says we are the temple of the living god who are his, because the Holy Spirit dwells within us. So he dwells within us individually, who are followers of Christ, together as a house of God, a temple, God's dwelling place. I want to end by just turning you to Mark chapter 11, and how Jesus describes the temple again. Mark chapter 11, verse 15. Mark eleven fifteen. 15. Notice what I said. Jesus began his ministry with a bang by going into the temple and driving him out and saying, what are you doing to my father's house? And after he enters triumphantly, offering himself as the king of Israel, the Messiah, the promised one, the first thing he does before he heads to the cross as he goes once again into the temple. Verse 15, Mark 11. He arrives in Jerusalem. He enters the temple and began to drive out the merchants and their customers. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the stalls of those selling the doves and he stopped everyone from bringing in merchandise. He taught them the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a place of prayer for all the nations. But you have turned it into a den of thieves. What have we done to God's temple? That's what I want us to just think about as we close this morning together. God's house. That would be me. That would be you. If you trust and the crucified and risen, crucified and risen and ascended Jesus as your Savior and Lord, that would be you, God's house. That would be us together, the house of God, God's temple, His dwelling place. Is God's temple a house of prayer? Is your temple a house of prayer? Is our temple a house of prayer? Or has it become a den of thieves? Has it become like people who go to Mariner's games and they forget why they went? Or like kids who go to school and seem to have forgotten why they're there? The same could be said of the workplace so often as seems like some people go to the workplace not to work but just to You know, in life, it's so easy for us to forget what we're about, why God created us. He created us for himself, to communicate with him, to know him, to love him, to talk to him, to represent his glory. The Westminster Catechism says, it says, the chief end of man is to glorify God, I'd say to reflect his glory and to enjoy him forever. Is that why we exist? A house of prayer? Are we here this morning? Did you come this morning? And for whatever reason you came, I'm glad you're here. But did you come this morning and do you personally exist to know God? Or we've forgotten why we're here and gotten busy doing all kinds of things. It reminds me of when Jesus was in Mary and Martha's home and, and Mary was... As Jesus' teaching, she was sitting at his feet, soaking in everything he had to say. She hadn't forgotten what it was about. It was Jesus. She wanted to know Jesus. She wanted to fall in love with Jesus. Martha was so busy doing all kinds of stuff, and irritated comes to Jesus and says, why don't you make my sister help me? I'm doing everything on my own. And and Jesus responds to Mary and says, Martha, Martha. You're bothered and and upset and irritated and frustrated about so many things. There's only one thing that matters, and Mary has chosen it. It's me. It's me. And that's what we're about. That's what we're to be about. As God's people, as His temple, corporately and individually, is that what we're about? Or we become a den of thieves, so busy doing all kinds of things. I'm sure the religious leaders could have easily rationalized why they were selling cattle and sheep and goats and doves because people needed them for sacrifice. That's what the temple was about. But it wasn't. You know, the temple wasn't fundamentally about sacrifice. Jesus didn't say, my house is a house of sacrifice. He says, my house is a house of prayer. The point of sacrifice was to clear the way so people could pray. To open up the way to make things right so the temple could be a place that Solomon made it for. Where anybody that wanted to come and pray to God could do. A place of prayer. And I think one of the biggest reasons why... We struggle and why we have conflicts and why we need restored relationships and why we fall on our faces and why we're so frustrated and angry and why? It's because we've forgotten who we are. We're a house of prayer. And everything else really doesn't matter. A whole bunch is if the point of why we exist isn't there and that's to know God and to seek his faith. Be his people. Just before I pray, in closing this, and, and, I, and really the, the point of this, probably as much as anything, is to challenge me to be a house of prayer. To together, for us to be a house of prayer, but for us to be people that remember why we exist, and that's to know God and to seek his faith. I just want to remind you of next Sunday night at 6 o'clock as a time to come together and celebrate communion together and to worship together and to pray together. But I want to add one thing to that. Because as God's been really personally convicting me and challenging me to be a man of prayer, for us to be a house of prayer, I want to... I want to put out kind of a special call for some of you who feel your heart particularly drawn to pray. And I'd like you to talk to me because we're in the process of, we'd like to start a prayer ministry where people really want to pray at the heart of everything we do. And... Um, to to kind of band together a group of people who really want to be intercessors and really want to seek God for our body. So if if that touches your heart, then what we're going to do is we're going to meet early next 6 o'clock is when the group's going to meet together. At 5 o'clock we're going to meet together. But I'd like for you to come and talk to me and for us to pursue being a house of prayer that God wants us to be, people of prayer that God wants us to be. Okay, let's pray. Father... It's so easy for us to be like Martha's, so busy and bothered and about so many things, and not bad things, good things, but things that have kept us busy and bothered instead of being about what really matters at the bottom line, and that's sitting at your feet and listening to you and seeking your face. Father, I pray that from these words we looked at this morning, that you would put a burden within our hearts, a longing within our hearts to be people of prayer, people that realize their privilege to know and listen to and communicate with the God of the universe. And Father, that we would let nothing get in our way of being those people and seeing what you do as a result. Father, we love you. Thank you for the amazing privilege to talk to you and to know you, to be your friend because of Jesus. Amen.